0: Hello and welcome to Queers Fiction, the podcast where we talk about how queer history is handled in the media. My name is Eli. And I'm Jason. And today we're talking about the fantasy series A Song of Ice and Fire and its TV adaptation Game of Thrones. Now, Jason, I can't help but notice that this isn't actually a history, TV
1: show, or book series, so why on earth are we doing this episode? So, yeah, secretly I've sabotaged the podcast, now it's a media podcast entirely. No, the real reason for- How fitting of you, given the topic, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) The real reason is that Game of Thrones represents an archetype of a type of media, and that is the sort of historical fiction, Mm -hmm. which is to say- As most people I feel are aware at this point, Game of Thrones takes a lot of inspiration from the War of the Roses and from specific historical time periods and places. There's clear inspiration there. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about the ways in which authors depict queer people in their historical fiction Mm -hmm. in terms of what it represents about their views of those time periods and also just our general cultural views of those time periods
0: also on a less intellectually legitimate note people keep requesting that we do media that just isn't historical at all so we were asked to do love simon and we were asked to do disobedience And I don't know, there's been a few others. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I guess this is us kind of like dipping our toe into the water of not talking about something that's strictly historical. And if people seem to like it, maybe on very special occasions, we'll do so going forward.
1: Only if you're very good.
0: (laughs) Only if we're very good, I guess, is the real. (laughs) Um, But really, all this is going to do is just confuse everyone who hasn't noticed that we only talk about history media more, and they're just going to request more things
1: that are in the history but that's okay yeah that is fine we love hearing from our listeners
0: and the last reason why we're doing this is because we like Game of Thrones and we can do what we want do so. we like Game of Thrones? Oh yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I guess that's... I guess we should get into that let Yeah,
1: let's, let's talk a little bit about Game of Thrones. Yeah. We don't have to summarise it, do we? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> in brief, if you are somehow listening to this episode, even though you haven't watched Game of Thrones or read any of the books, this is a series about warring noble houses in a fictionalised... Medieval Europe. Also, there are dragons. There sometimes. are. Yeah, that's.
0: I just. I think that if I get any more in depth and that opens up a lot more explaining, I have to do it every level. So maybe we should just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I think we should just yeah, leave it at that. I
0: was gonna start explaining the like ice zombie part, and I was like, nah, they're not
1: nah. gay. The ice zombies aren't gay at all. <laughs> the ice zombies are indeed not gay, as far as we know.
0: No, I mean, there's one more season.
1: Yeah. So obviously, yeah, yeah the the last reason we are doing this episode is absolutely clickbait. <laughs> yeah, <because> absolutely. <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of media attention. This is probably one of the most expensive per-episode seasons of television that's ever been made. The Like, some of the episodes are, like, 80 minutes long.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Concerned. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, on a, like, slightly less, like, cynical note, we are pretty big fans of this book series, I guess, and this is the last time in our lives it's truly going to be relevant. But, yeah, so, Jason, you're a fan of Game of Thrones. Am I? Please qualify that statement now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I've been watching the show since it first came out i read the first two books i think before the show started Mm -hmm. and then subsequently read the rest of the books and have as part of the research for this episode reread all of the books over the space of a couple of weeks which uh was a bit of a time
0: yeah so do you have a preference in terms of like would you say you're more a fan of the tv show or more of the books or like you're just in it for
1: both Mm, that's really tough. I think that some of the depth you get in the books is incredibly fascinating. It's some of my favourite content. Yeah. But I do think a lot of the choices the show makes as an adaptation that cut down on just the inane crap that goes on <laughs> in this series are quite good. Yeah. How about you? My older brother is a massive fan of these, he has been reading these books
0: since they started coming out. So you can imagine how emotionally ruined he is. Um, and I started reading them when the hype about the TV show first started. I read the first one and half of the second one in one sitting. Uh, so that's, you know, I've been in it from yeah. the start. Yeah. And then it took me like seven years
1: to read
0: the last one
1: (laughs) yeah because you only finished that earlier this year
0: yeah i i didn't read the second half of the last one because i got up to like feast and then realized that there wasn't another one coming out soon and kind of panicked yeah but yeah and then like i've been watching the tv show as it goes along i was like a huge fan and very enthusiastic when it started and then it's waned somewhat, because, like, the TV show does some things
1: very well, but it's also kind of bad at this point. Yeah, certainly the last couple of seasons have had a lot of problems, which, to be fair, some of the problems are kind of inherent to just adapting this material. I mean, let's be clear, like, it's not like the books aren't also kind of bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. At points, like,
0: (laughs) so you've just, like, reread them all. I find that rereading them is just, like, such a exhausting physically draining experience
1: oh yeah absolutely especially because particularly for a game of thrones and a storm of swords they're books that are very much built around big twists Mm. and so it's kind of like you're reading a mystery novel but you already know the mystery Mm. and you know it makes things like ned's chapters in book one drag a lot because Like, in comparison to on the first read, where it's like, oh, yeah, he's this, like, noble person, you know, struggling against the world. And then the second time around, you're just like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Stop. Mm. Just go home. Be with your wife.
0: Mm. (laughs) Um, We should also probably say at this juncture, so Jason reread all the books, and I rewatched the TV show. Because we like to try and come to this podcast having, like, slightly different experiences of the media we're discussing. In reality, I rewatched the first four seasons and and then Bins read the Wikipedia
1: synopsis because I was like, nah. Which I think is fair enough. I mean, you've you've watched the other seasons, you know, in the last couple of years. So I don't think there was necessarily a huge amount more that you would get from that. Yeah. But,
0: you know, just like if my memory of events becomes dodgier after we finish (laughs) season four, like, that's why because i hate this tv show (laughs) now season five in particular i really like struggle with um yeah it's it's home to the one scene i will never watch which is what happens to sansa yeah i'm not even willing
1: to watch up until just before that and stop watching again i'm just like yeah all right that's enough (laughs) yeah yeah and that's totally reasonable yeah yeah absolutely we will probably get some minor details about the plot the characters Everything Wrong at some point in this episode. You can add us if you want, but, like, we don't really care. <laughs> yeah,
0: you can you can write to us and be like, you're not a real fan. And I'll be like, yeah, that's fair, whatever. Yeah. So I guess we should say, you know, if we're not going to summarize it, we're obviously not going to kind of, like, go through the plot or anything like that. But we are just going to, like, randomly mention spoilers as they become relevant. Uh, this probably isn't the most user-friendly thing if you have not watched or read this TV show. So you're probably not, like... Hanging around and might accidentally be spoiled anyway. But if you are, like. Spoiler warning. Yeah, this is like a really bad lucky dip from your point of view. So enjoy. There's a huge amount of content to do with this TV show and book. Mm. So the way we've decided to do this is just kind of discarding and ignoring all of the stuff about cishead people. Because <laughs> <laughs> who has time for that on this podcast? So we're just going to kind of, like, go through key moments of queerness in this series, compare them in the book and the TV series, and generally drag them quite a bit, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of characters. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about quite a few queer characters, but, like, in the context of this series, Mm. there's still not that many queer characters.
0: No. But, yeah, so we'll go through some, like, big moments of queerness and then we'll talk just a bit about like the general attitudes in
1: Westeros towards queerness and how they suck. And then we will talk a little bit about the kind of meta-narrative and the views of the author and of the showrunners and how they've spoken about queer representation and, yeah, just sort of generally talk about... Game of Thrones as a piece of fiction that exists in the real world. So we're going to, in this first section, talk about the sort of major characters in this series who are queer. And by major characters, uh, that is not necessarily to say that they are huge, even though there's a fair bit of content. For example, there is no character in the books who is explicitly out-and-out queer as a point of view character, I would say. Yeah. There are characters who have queer experiences. There's John Connington, who apparently is canonically gay, but you don't have any real confirmation that. There are hints of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so when we say major characters, mm, mm, they're not necessarily the, you know, protagonists or the antagonists. Mm. However, probably the most famous queer characters from the show, I would say, are Renly Baratheon and Loris Terrell. Yeah. Yeah, who are two young noblemen, both of them younger sons of two of the great houses of Westeros. Yeah, In the books, we don't necessarily get a huge amount of content about these characters. A lot of their plot occurs off-screen. or mm. well, off-screen, so to say. Yeah. Um, But in terms of the references we do have to them as people, and specifically as queer men, we don't get a huge amount, but it is kind of insinuated a lot that they're both considered in the books to be preoccupied with their appearance
2: in -hmm. comparison
1: to other men. And this is sort of seen as a somewhat negative thing from the perspective of other characters. They're kind of considered to be a little bit unreliable, particularly Renly is kind of, you know, not necessarily considered to have as much substance to him as his brothers. Nonetheless, both seem to be like good people, I would say. Insofar as anyone in this series is a good person, um, both of them seem to be, like, friendly and not terrible humans. In terms of references we get to their queer identities, we hear Stannis, Renly's older brother, imply that Renly would never have gotten his wife, Marjorie pregnant. That's basically all we get in the first couple of books. We get actually the most content in the books about their relationship and about particularly Loris's sexuality after Renly's death. That's a good sign. Yeah. (laughs) We see a very sad and upset Loris, who obviously is upset because he was in love with Renly, basically. Like, it's somewhat implied. The fact that he seems to not be romantically interested in any of the women in the story. The fact that the way that he is mourning for Renly Mm -hmm. seems more akin to someone who had a romantic attachment to another person, we don't necessarily know if their relationship was reciprocated. There is a reference to them having gone and prayed together yeah. alone the evening that Renly dies, and certainly there's an implication there that something was going on, but we don't necessarily get it confirmed. And so that's what I mean by it, they're not necessarily all that major in the story, even though... Mm-hmm. They're probably among the biggest pieces of queer representation we get.
0: Yeah. There's also the rainbow
2: stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, true. Them, which true. is pretty hilarious. In terms of coding, yeah. there's a lot of queer coding that goes on. You know, Loris is the Knight of Flowers... Uh, Renly, when he declares himself king, has a, instead of a king's guard, he has a rainbow guard. And they all, like, wear a cloak that is, like, one different colour of the rainbow. Which they don't put on the TV show, and I'm mm. so disappointed. They're basically medieval Power Rangers, which is really great.
0: I mean, it's also, like, that kind of thing feels almost a little ham-fisted. Like, I feel like the references that exist are really small. But mm. the ones that do are, like, get it, he's gay. Which yeah. is why it's funny... That a lot of people, when Renly was more explicitly gay in the TV show, as we'll discuss in a second, were like, what the hell is this? They think they can make him gay? That's so offensive. He was cool in the books. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay.
1: Oh, this character's been gay the whole time.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's also like an indictment of George because, I mean, if, if someone can be like, oh, that character wasn't gay, I didn't notice that. That character's not really good
1: queer representation are they yeah that's true
0: especially if they're like your gayest character
1: yeah and i mean it's also just not particularly good writing if you are not getting across important traits about characters in a way that people actually understand and like it's not like he's confusing anywhere else in the
0: book so i really don't know where this came from yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is really true and it's something that i think we'll talk a fair bit about is The fact that George is very, very specific about aspects of characters' personalities in this series, and yet very vague and lots of insinuations and lots of innuendo and lots of sly references when it comes to queer identity. Mm, I mean, there's a lot of stuff
0: that's dealt with in, like innuendo and stuff like it's not like that's the only place in these books where
1: he like has a bunch of vague illusions that's true that's true i mean (laughs) there are entire channels on youtube dedicated to cracking all of the conspiracies yeah exactly that's fair but i do think that like when characters are talking about other characters Mm. often they're like here are these people's three major character traits yeah okay and here is their entire history
0: as in the books Renly and Laura are probably the most prominent piece of queer representation on the show. And the other reason you can really argue with that is that one of them dies super early on, so it's like, but surely there's something to replace it. Mm. Unlike the books, the TV show isn't limited to certain point-of-view characters, and so it's able to do things a little bit differently, which is quite interesting overall. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways it uses that is that it takes you into the bedroom, quite literally, of these two characters, neither of whom are a point-of-view character in the books. And so we get to see more explicitly them on screen treating each other as a romantic partner so this is pretty much just done in two scenes it's hard to say which of these scenes i hate more (laughs) Ah, so we're gonna have to discuss that a bit but i think it's the second one it's it's genuinely a toss-up though i hate them both so much Okay, please- I really hate them, Jason.
1: Please tell me more, because I haven't watched this show for a long time, and I remember there being several scenes, apparently only two.
0: Yeah. Their relationship is alluded to in other scenes and so forth, and they certainly have, like, knowing glances and whatnot, but, like, there's two scenes where they're like, this scene is about them being gay. So the first one is what we'll call the shaving scene. Ah, yes. Yeah, this- happened, I guess? <laughs> this is when they're still in King's Landing, Robert Baratheon hasn't yet died, etc, etc, etc. Doesn't this feel like a million years ago? Yeah. And so they're alone together in, like, one of their bedrooms, and Loras is, like, systematically shaving off all of Renly's body hair because he thinks that's hot. Mm-hmm. And, like, first of all, what? Why is this here? Mm. Explain it to me, Jason. Explain why this is here. I, I don't know. I hate it. Like just the fact that that is what they decided. They're like, oh, like they're just having a conversation. They need to be doing something during the scene. Mm. Shaving, I guess. Is... Yeah. I like think. it does convey that obviously, like they're intimate enough that one of them can shave the other on. off, or like shave a beard or something. Because they do kind of like make fun of it mm. within the context of the scene. So it's seen as something that's like kind of eccentric. It's not just that Loris is shaving Renly, but I. Also, just struggle to kind of get where the creative decisions came from regarding how the two men treat each other. Mm. So, there's a lot of like cattiness and bitchiness in the way that Renly and Laura speak to each other.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And that to me is just an enormous squander of this opportunity you have, which is to actually show them being like intimate one on one with each other. You kind of have to make the most of those scenes to have Renly's death then have like the max amount of weight. No, they just didn't. They, to me, fail to really convey that these are two people who have been in a relationship for a while and who trust each other and who care for each other. You know, they just mm. sort of, like, undermine each other in small ways. So That's, um, that's
1: yeah, I think also interesting in terms of the way that the show portrays Renly in particular mm-hmm. is that obviously with Loras, we get to see him jousting and yep. being sort of very effective. Yeah. So and, uh,
0: like, despite the fact that he's very like physically pretty and so forth, he's mm-hmm. still like, well, you know, I'm like a great fighter and I can kind of like remain sort of fairly respectable as a man because of that. Yeah. Not so for Renly.
1: Not so for Renly, and in a really stark contrast to the books, I would say. Yeah, me too. um, Because in the books, there's definitely – even though there's a few insinuations that Renly is maybe, you know, he's a bit two-dimensional, like there's not necessarily a lot of substance to him, Mm. certainly his appearance, people are like, wow, it's Robert when he was younger. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's this big guy who's, Mm. like, you know, really impressive to look at. And yet in the show, I would say, like – he looks in appearance in terms of how they make him up and how they dress him and all those kinds of decisions, also just, like, casting decisions as yeah. well. He resembles, like, Littlefinger more than he does, like, Robert Baratheon or, like, mm, he one is, of those big, you know, noble warrior types.
0: Yeah, he is just kind of, like, a fairly generic-looking guy. Yeah. And they don't really create enough character for him to then kind of, like, act his way through that. Like, the the actor does... a completely fine job with what is given. You know, I, yeah. I don't feel like it was, like, acted poorly or anything necessarily. Yeah, he just didn't have that much to it work with. He just didn't have that much to work with. Yeah, and I think, like, I feel like the show was generally cast quite well, and my, like, major exception is the Baratheon brothers, because mm. they're all meant to be these, like, massive, impressive guys, and mm. they're just not. Yeah. And yeah. I think Renly is the worst example of that. But, yeah, and they, they, like, they really just undermine each other a bunch, and it made me upset because they're meant to be in love. You know, like, so... Loras kind of says that like his fighting prowess is a result of him working hard all of his life, and Renly's like, "Well, but even if I worked hard every day of my life, I wouldn't have the gifts you have." And Loris's reply is, "I guess we'll never know." Like, what an awful thing to say to your partner.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because in the books, I feel like Renly does he does crack jokes mm. quite a bit, but Loris not so much. Loras is quite mm. sincere.
2: Yeah, this, I
0: feel? it's also not a matter of them kind of, like, ribbing each other or whatever. Mm. It's it's very much this kind of case of, like, the other one responds to it with, a like, kind of, like, cutting their eyes away and looking frustrated and sighing and things like that. Like, they are, like, taking jabs at each other. Yeah. And I hate it so much. Yeah. It's bad. It's a bad adaptation choice. Yep. Explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the fact that in this scene it's established that Renly is basically, like, cowardly and afraid of fighting and can't stand the sight of blood. Hmm. Like loris like nicks him and makes him look at the blood, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't want to," and stuff like that. And I'm like, "What? Yeah, Where and that's coming.
1: Yeah, from? that's and that's not coming from anywhere in the book Yeah,
0: just whatever. All right. Oh, and then the second scene is the scene we'll call the Marjorie scene because I feel like it does more for her character than either of the other two. True. So what happens is by this time Robert Baratheon is dead, Ned Stark is dead. It's season 2 with fled King's Landing. Renly has this massive host around him, and he's just kind of, like, hanging out and being cool. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. In this episode, he names Brienne, the best character, (laughs) a knight of his Kingsguard, and Loras is very humiliated by this because he does it in reward for Brienne beating Loras in a fight. Yeah. So Loris and Renly are alone in their new bedroom, which is in a tent now. Yep. And they start to sort of like make out and moving towards having sex. And then Loris is like, nah, actually, I'm leaving. You know, you need to be having sex with my sister, your new wife, instead, because that's like the whole point of your marriage to her you need to like have an heir etc etc now for the most part we'll get into what the creators have said about this later on but i will note at this point that the writer of this episode brian cogman specifically says in the commentary for this episode that this is loris like punishing renly with making him have sex with a woman for humiliating him So, again, this is a terrible dynamic that you have set up between these two lovers here. This also has a bunch of other, like, you know, them kind of, like, jabbing at each other and whatnot. And then Loris leaves. Uh, And then Marjorie comes in and she tries to seduce Renly and she, like, takes off her top and everything. Mm -hmm. And Renly is very not into it. He is, like, flustered and upset and pained by the experience. Mm -hmm. And then she quite matter-of-factly says to him, like, look... I know you'd rather be having sex with my brother, but we have to do this for the sake of, like, all of our futures. So just figure out the least uncomfortable way to do it for you, if you want Loris here, if you don't, and we'll just get it done. And then the scene just ends. He doesn't get to really respond to this anyway. Yeah. So let's go through why this sucks. (laughs) So first of all, um, we don't get another intimate moment between Loras and Renly, really, again.
1: Yeah, is about to die. Renly dies shortly after this.
0: Yep. So that's it. That's all of the chances you have given yourself to have this relationship that you are now being able to explicitly show on on the page or on the screen, Mm -hmm. as the case may be, as like a strong intimate relationship that matters. And you've just decided to not do that and have them be absolutely garbage to each other For some reason. This scene does a great deal to set up what Marjorie is like as a person. This is the first time we see her really behind closed doors, so Mm -hmm. not putting on a face for the public. And it sets her up as being, you know, like a practical, savvy woman. Yeah, Right. And I really hate that one of the only scenes we get between two queer people within their relationship is really just kind of setting up one of their beards. Like I love Marjorie, I do. She's an excellent character. Natalie Dormer is very good and amazing. Yeah, but this sucks and I hate it. Um, I also don't understand like what we're meant to think is happening here. So like, Laris and Renly have been dating for a while. Mm -hmm. Stuff goes down in the capital, and they have to flee. And they decide that Renly will be king, and like the Tyrells are going to back him. It's going to be great. Mm. So Renly marries Marjorie, Mm -hmm. knowing the Tyrells. Why is it that we're, like, a while into their marriage before, like, Loris either says to Renly, like, look, marry my sister, but, like, you know, she's she's going to know what the situation is and it's fine, this is a political thing. Or why wouldn't, like, Elena mm. be like, so I know you're gay, Renly, explain to me how this is going to work. And yeah, everyone, yeah. Like,
1: I just feel like this would all be out of the open by now. I think, really importantly, the fact that, yeah, this, this is, is the, the one real queer relationship i feel that we see where it is kind of this is their one true love yeah for sure and the fact that it's catty and you know petty and very fleeting and
0: i feel like a lot of thought has been really put into the like hypothetical you know
1: like whole relationship that exists under these two scenes and it made me sad Yeah, and particularly given that it's not like Loris proceeds to not be a relevant character. He sticks around for another few seasons. He does. And part of the reason why I feel like the show doesn't really do anything with him after Renly dies, or anything particularly interesting at least, Mm -hmm. is that they hadn't necessarily established a tragic enough arc for him. Yeah. Because their relationship just wasn't important or serious enough
0: yeah so let's talk about that Mm -hmm. so first of all Raleigh dies he's dead now shadow baby killed peach boy (laughs) it's done um and so yeah in the grand scheme of things despite being one of the most important queer characters he's a pretty unimportant character his character ends up being fairly defined by homosexuality in the tv show and then homosexuality is defined largely by stereotypes and kind of just like weak writing. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. That's all I have to say. But Laura survives. So Loras's mourning is nowhere near as intense in the T V show as it was in the books. Mm-hmm. Um in the books he has that really great line about like once the sun is set, no candle can replace it. Yes. Which yeah. I really like.
1: That is an excellent yeah. line. And you know, and also it's very much, you know, he joins the King's Guard, which is an organization where you have to be Obviously, the normal thing is that you have to be celibate and um you know you take no wife, but clearly, in the books for Loris, this has the meaning of more like "I will never love again, I will never love
0: again." His mourning in a lot of ways really reminds me of how like Achilles mourns Patroclus at the end of the Iliad mm. uh and I thought of this again uh during the Battle of Blackwater Bay when a character. Yeah. a character yeah, yeah. puts on uh Renley's armour in order to kind of like scare the enemy. Yes yeah, and pretend that Renley is still yeah, alive. Yeah and pretend that Renly is still alive. Like obviously um Loris isn't the one to wear the armour. Yeah. But still that like the donning of a dead lover's armour in order to like evoke his ghost one last time. Mm. Oh, give me chill. I mean I
1: believe I believe he wants to be the one who dons the armour, but he's not big enough. Yeah,
0: that's right actually, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um so that, like, that got me. Got me right here. Yeah. But, yeah, in, in the TV show, he does mourn. Like, we see him standing over his corpse, and there's a few other references to him just kind of, like, generally being sad after that. Mm. But he also does move on. So by sort of, like, midway through the third season, he meets this guy called Oliver, mm-hmm. and, like, in that first scene, like, they immediately are like, oh, I see you, and they go and have sex. That goes on for a while, uh, but it's not a, like, meaningful romantic relationship or anything like that. It's a casual sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oliver is a spy for Peter Baelish, Mm -hmm. so, you know, that kind of, like, puts a bit of a wrench in things. Yeah. Apart from that, Loras also makes, like, eyes at Oberyn Martel because there's, like, few enough queer characters that they all kind of have to, like, nod at each other in the hallways, I guess. Yeah. So he's like, homosexuality does remain topical through these, like, meaningless sort of sexual encounters. And then in the later seasons, he gets embroiled in a sort of, like, courtroom-esque drama uh, when the sort of, like, far-right religious cult of the... Faith militant?
1: Please stop this sentence. That's a reasonable way of describing it. Yeah, the kind of uh, ultra socially conservative sparrow movement that takes over the faith uh, in King's Landing.
0: Yeah, who are very anti-queer stuff, like has him arrested and he gets to the point of kind of like decrying, like denouncing his own sexuality. And then like Cersei does terrorism and blows up the Sept and his plot is over. Yeah. Like, we don't need to go into every single scene in which a queer character isn't in as much depth as I made us do with those two Renly scenes, but, like, I feel like it's fairly non-controversial to say that it doesn't really, like, turn the queer representation around too much.
1: Hmm. You know? Yeah, Oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: He gets blown up, by just, my god. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my boys. Yeah. Now they're both dead.
1: Yeah, and certainly, yeah, those two... Along with, in the show, I guess, Ober and Martell are probably the most prominent and pretty much the only examples of male homosexuality. Yeah, so now let's talk about the women. It's interesting in that we get a lot more exploration of queerness for women in the books than we do for men, particularly because it does come up in point of view chapters for at least two of the characters in the forms of Cersei and Daenerys. Yeah. But by the same token, we don't necessarily get those characters actually being queer, I would say. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk a little bit about now. Certainly, Daenerys and Cersei both have sexual experiences with women in the books. Uh, With Daenerys, um, it's with her handmaiden, Eerie, and potentially also uh, Doria, who's one of her other handmaidens. That's not as explicit, but it is sort of mention that Doria helped teach her how to have sex, which is a scene that I believe appears in the show. It sure does, yes. But is kind of a throwaway line in the oh, books. Okay. <laughs> but she does have several scenes uh, with Eerie, and with Cersei this takes the form of her having a relationship with uh, Tana merriweather where the two women get along really well probably Tiana was a was a spy i'd be deeply shocked if she was not a spy <laughs> <laughs> um i think that's pretty accepted given the way her plot line comes out where eventually she flees the city yeah certainly there's an aspect to which cersei who generally doesn't enjoy the company of women does seem to enjoy Tiana's company but the reason why I say that I don't believe that the series depicts either of these women as queer is kind of rooted in how George writes romance full stop in the series, where he's very much about the one true love. You know, we see this as a like consistent theme throughout the series where you know people's one true love starts wars and gets people killed and... All of that. But in particular, when it comes to trying to define Danny and Cersei's sexuality, they're very much, even more so than they are defined by being attracted to men, they're defined by being attracted to one man in particular. <laughs> for Danny, obviously, Carl Drago, and for Cersei, her brother Jamie. Because in the case of Daenerys, and this is where I think you could make the argument that Daenerys is queer, certainly there's a couple of lines where. You know, there's a line where Danny describes a woman's breast as, as perfect as a breast could be, and you know, you could read into things like that. But Danny does seem ultimately disinterested in Erie as a kind of romantic prospect. Although her stated reason for that is more that she feels that Erie is bound by Judy and not necessarily attracted to her, rather than that she's not attracted to women. So I guess you could argue in that respect. But
0: doesn't she like explicitly compare her because like I know that sometimes when like at least one of the times when she seeks iri out, she's mm. explicitly like thinking about how she wishes that she was in bed with Dargo. Mm. And then she's like, Oh, I guess like Eerie's here, I guess there's a loo and then she's like, No no no, I want this like man's dead And so there's this kind of like explicit comparison between like the male sex partner she wishes she had and the female sex partner who was there. And, like, sure, that doesn't necessarily extrapolate to all men and all women,
2: but... Mm.
1: Yeah, certainly that's one of the later eerie sex scenes. I think in the earlier ones, it's more that she's missing Carl mm.
2: Um
1: How many are there? I only remember two. There might be a third one. I think Danny does reference it having happened multiple
0: times. Oh, okay, yeah, because I remember, like... She's having a dream about Khal Drogo, and she's all, like, worked out. Mm. And so, like, Eerie initiates a sexual encounter. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, like, Eerie kind of, like, tries to initiate one. She's like, no, no, no. And then, like, maybe there's a third time where she's like, yeah, all right, I really
1: want to have sex with Dario
0: right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. like, the way that Daenerys discusses her feelings for Eerie is very much rooted in, first, comparing her to Drogo, and second, comparing her to Dario. mm and so it is a little bit harder to kind of, yeah, as, as you were sort of saying, articulate that in terms of how she feels about men generally and women generally. But certainly in terms of the examples we get, yeah, uh-huh. Danny does seem to prefer the man in her life over yeah. women as a concept. And with Cersei, I actually think the scenes with Cersei are more interesting uh-huh. um, in terms of what they mean about her identity. Um, not so much in terms of her sexuality, I actually more in terms of her gender.
2: Mm.
1: Um because certainly Cersei's relationship with Tiana, she explicitly talks about wanting to take on the role of a man. Yeah, in that relationship. And this is kind of a fairly consistent theme for Cersei, like she dresses as Jamie when she's younger and is like shocked and like finds it interesting the way that she's treated differently and obviously she regrets the place of women in that society. And she seems to have a strong disdain for sort of feminine traits generally. But, yeah, it doesn't seem like she's necessarily attracted to women because they are women.
0: Mm. I mean, she's, like, explicitly not in that scene with Tanner, isn't she? Like, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, like, dominate her. Like, I'm the king. And then she's like, this doesn't actually work for me at all.
1: Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, she was kind of more interested in it as, like, a sexual challenge. She talks about how, like... Um, She wanted to see if it was as easy with a woman as it was with Robert. Mm. Once again, trying to pass out her feelings about people of different genders is kind of made a little bit impossible in a general sense because of how she is so hyper-focused on Jamie. Mm. You're not necessarily able to infer general things. But that said, we're talking about a fictional series, you know, George chose to include yeah. those character traits. He chose to have both of these women have sexual relationships with other women, but ultimately be thinking about mm. the man that they're in love with. I think based on that, neither of these women are really presented as queer, Yeah, even though they have queer sexual experiences.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah,
1: yeah and those two are the main representations of female queer sexuality in the series. How about in the show? What do we so, get with women?
0: neither of those two examples that you just described are really present in the show at all, mm-hmm. in any way. Um, we do have Daria, Danny's handmaiden, teaching her how to sexually please Drogo in a fairly like, hands-on way, where like, they sort of like, straddle each other and like, grind around a bit and whatnot. But there's absolutely no question that this is her like, having a connection with this woman, because... She's Daria. it's just like here's my in with drogo and then it's all about drogo likewise there's a whole bunch of scenes with the sex workers like female sex workers performing sexual acts with each other for the titillation of men also don't count as queer female characters yeah um uh, but the main ones in the tv show are yara and alaria is alaria sexually interested in women in the
1: books I didn't think so. I hadn't made any notes about it, but I was looking at a list of queer characters in okay, this yeah. series, and I believe she did come up. Okay, for the books in particular. Oh, for for the books, yeah. Interesting. So there may be a reference that I just yeah. missed because it's a lot of words. Yeah, Um yeah. Okay. And a lot of the allusions to queer identity in these books are like three words in a book of, you know, many words. Yeah. I was about to make a rough guess, and then I realized oh, I have no idea how many words
0: are in these books. No, 10 million at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Alaria shows up in the fourth season. She is the paramour of Oberyn Martell, who also shows up in the fourth season. They're both, like, bisexual, prominently, on screen. They certainly have a relationship with each other that I buy as, like, a loving, genuine relationship, mm-hmm. but her sexual encounters with women in season four and overruns with men for that matter are much more just like fun sort of sexual adventures on the side of their main relationship so like the first time we see them they like go to a brothel and they're like selecting people to have sex with I guess the more interesting potential sexual and or romantic relationship that Alaria could potentially maybe one day have <laughs> is with Yara. So let's put a pin in that and talk about Yara for a second.
1: Yeah. So this is really interesting because obviously, as anyone who's read the books knows, mm. Yara's name is not Yara. No, it's not. Yeah. It's, this is going to be real bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So in the books, her name is Asha Greyjoy, yes. Yes. Uh, Theon's sister. Yeah. And in the books, she is straight as far as you can say that someone is straight gay or bi she is pretty definitively straight yeah so like um, she has multiple like sexual encounters with men from what yeah, i remember yeah and and she is like quite attracted to them yeah certainly asha in the books fulfills a non-stereotypical gender role and she does that in the show as well mm-hmm. But this doesn't seem to have any real connotations in terms of her sexuality in the books, which is interesting, especially because there are definitely allusions to her taking on a more masculine role, and, you know, within the Iron Islands, there's kind of, like, a bit of shade being thrown at her because she's a woman who's going to battle. Like, even Balon, her father, who has kind of let her take on the role of his heir, Mm. um, with Theon being a effective hostage of um the starks even then he still seems like pretty displeased by the way that she is so aggressive and so like traditionally masculine in the way that she acts you know he explicitly says that he's disappointed that his daughter has taken an axe for a lover but yeah as far as i can tell not queer in the books in the show however
0: yeah, so her queeness turns up pretty late in the show. Um, she has been in that like traditionally masculine role pretty much as she is in the books for this whole time, but in terms of her like desiring women, um, that shows up pretty late. So the first scene in which this becomes relevant is one that's set in Volantis while Yara's fleet is sailing to meet Daenerys. So they stop over in Volantis and they go to a brothel, and there's a lot going on in the scene in terms of Yara's relationship to Theon, who is very traumatized, yep. that you could certainly discuss in terms of like how she decides to help him deal with that. And I don't think we can really get into it now, mm. but I feel like we had to mention it because it's not great.
1: Yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. But just to focus on the like strictly relevant stuff, while she's there, like while they're sitting in the kind of like main room talking and whatnot, she has a female sex worker like on her knee Mm. and she's clearly intending to have sex with her and so forth. And then the scene ends with her saying that she's going to go, quote, fuck the tits off this one. Yep. Yep, that was the
1: line. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yep. This show has won several awards. This show is very highly acclaimed. (laughs) Jace, do you remember the bad pussy? Oh, (laughs) Uh, I do remember that line, Eli. Yeah.
0: Wow, this is... Maybe we don't like this show. (laughs) So there were many reactions to this scene. A lot of people, including a lot of queer women, were really excited about it because the T V show has been quite lacking in explicit on screen queer female sexuality up until this point. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people just kind of like showing it around as like one of the most badass scenes that's been on TV, uh, you know, this whole year and, and like it made lists of like top ten badass lesbian characters and just like good queer female representation in the year it came out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then there are also a lot of people who were like, hey, what are you talking about? This is terrible. And it was criticized for, like, fairly obvious reasons. The fact that the woman she has sex with is explicitly made to be a slave. She's tattooed as the slaves of that part of the world are. Mm -hmm. And also just generally how her behavior in that scene, both in terms of how she acts to her sexual partner and to how she acts to Theon her very traumatized brother Mm. replicate the general attitudes of the iron islands in terms of like toxic masculinity and just being like the worst version of a person you can be (laughs) i hate the iron islands so much
1: it's interesting because i feel like in the books she isn't as awful of person.
0: Yeah, this was my kind of gut feeling as well, but I was very interested to see how you felt about her, like, specifically regarding kind of dealing with toxic masculinity as, like, a woman in a very masculine culture who is yeah. obviously masculine, like, somewhat in order to function in the part of that culture she's in. Yep. I remember there being a line in the books where... A man calls her or another woman a cunt, and she kind of, her, like, inner monologue is like, oh, it's weird how men use that word to insult women when that's the only part of women they value.
1: And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that kind of, like,
0: self-awareness is something that the show really bothers to try and cultivate.
1: Yeah, I think she is a more thoughtful person in the books, and she seems to have a kind of genuine affection for her brother. I think she's meant to. On the show as
0: well, and also Loras and Renly were meant to be true love,
1: but they don't. As the show has done quite a bit, and this is probably one of the bigger flaws with the show, just the inconsistent characterization, Mm. where people just do what the plot demands. And and even even then, though, it wasn't necessarily the plot demanded that she be terrible to Theon, Mm. and yet she was. She
0: tells him to kill himself. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, and I was like, oh no. My baby. Yeah. You're familiar with how I'm, like, very fond of Theon for no reason I can fathom.
1: Yeah, I am aware of this. Oh,
0: anyway. She does have further scenes in which she is visibly confirmed gay. Mm. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs>
0: she is quite flirty with Daenerys, which, if we hadn't had that kind of, like, brothel scene confirmation, maybe people wouldn't have viewed us as, as significant it is, but, like, we did. Yeah. And it was very flirty, so. yeah cool and then in a later scene when she and Alaria so taking the pin out of that and bringing that character back into it <laughs> are on a boat together flirting and then they kiss and they you know have a nice evening by all accounts but then Yara's uncle Euron who is the like big villain of that portion of the story shows up and like kidnaps them all and their potential tryst is interrupted never to be fulfilled yep so if we kind of sum up what we've got in terms of like queer women on the tv show we have a few kind of like passing glimpses that are really
1: just women performing for the sake of men yeah i guess in contrast to the books Mm -hmm. where there are two quite major characters and there is discussion and like exploration Mm -hmm. of queer female sexuality but those characters ultimately don't really fall into the bracket of being queer themselves. Instead, in the show, we have a couple of explicitly queer women, Yeah, but they're not as major characters, and mm. there's still kind of some problems in terms of how they are depicted.
0: And, like, again, we don't actually get to really see any relationships between these women. We get glimpses of something that could have been, we get sexual encounters, but... Like, our only real, like, queer on-screen relationship is still just Renly and Loras, and that's been gone for a while by this point. There is still a season left, but we have such a small cast of characters now, and there just really isn't anyone for Yara to hook up with. (laughs) Like, who would it be? I think her best bet is literally Sansa. And, like, that's not a very good bit. Like, that's not anything to suggest that would happen. Yeah. But, like, Daenerys is now having sex with her nephew instead. Yeah. Cersei is not a go for a million reasons. Yep. What other women exist? Brienne. Oh, yeah, Brienne. yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, I feel like, you know, the lesbianism has ended in Game of Thrones, the TV yeah. show.
1: Yeah, and also really the gay content as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a reason we're doing this now and not, like, hedging our bets and doing it at the end of this
1: season is because we're like, what is this really going to add? Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas in the books, if they ever do get published, I think yeah. there there is a fair chance there would be a bit more queer yeah, content. hopefully. But, yeah, in the show, not so much. Nah. So we've talked about the kind of major, quote-unquote, characters Mm. who have queer identities in the books and in the show yeah so do we want to talk just briefly now before we get into our kind of meta discussion (laughs) um just about sort of the world of game of thrones both in westeros and in essos and sort of references to queer identity within that
0: i have nothing to say about essos
1: (laughs) okay i have a little bit to say about (laughs) okay
0: let's do westeros Um, first as our like you know, baseline culture, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If you're up for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting in that there is a clear kind of insinuation that homophobia is uh, part of this culture. hmm But it seems to be a bit inconsistently applied. Oh, okay. Tell me more. So my, my big two examples of this are in the books, Cersei seems to be aware that Loras is gay. Mm-hmm. And Peter Baelish in The Veil is aware that Lynn Corbray, quote unquote, likes boys, which is a phrase that George employs a lot. Yeah, And we don't necessarily know. This is something that's I've seen a bit of controversy about several of the characters who are listed as gay. And it's like, well, are they gay or are they pedophiles? Yeah. And we don't know. Yeah, we for don't. a lot of them. Um, Because the ages of the people they're sleeping with aren't specified. And yeah, so we can't necessarily confirm that. But regardless, in both of those cases, neither Littlefinger nor Cersei attempt to use these people's queer identities against them, even though they are actively trying to blackmail and manipulate those people. Okay. Which is kind of weird to me. Mm. And yeah, I don't know if like it just wasn't something that george was interested in exploring or he didn't want it to be something where that became you know the main way that yeah people tried to attack those characters
2: Mm.
1: i'm not sure but yeah it does seem to be a little bit inconsistent generally aside from that We get a lot more queer content outside of Westeros, I would say, but there is a little bit here and there. I did kind of like how there did seem to be queer people in pretty much every area of Westeros, so there's like references to homosexuality in the North, and there's obviously references to it in Dawn, Mm -hmm. um, where the culture of Dawn seems to be much more fluid in terms of sexuality and in terms of people having multiple partners, and then... Obviously, there's the character who I mentioned earlier, John Connington, who, although technically he's in the East for most of his plot, but he's from Westeros originally, mm-hmm. and he does return there. And, yeah, I guess his character is definitely someone who, I mean, is confirmed as of word of the author, gay. And certainly there's insinuation that he was in love with Rhaegar. Mm-hmm. And in John's chapters, I don't think he actually refers to... Like, obviously because he's not necessarily out and out referring to his homosexuality, which is why George had to come out and say, yes, this character is gay. mm He was a bit more coy than that, actually. I think what George said was that one of the point-of-view characters in Dance with Dragons is gay. And everyone was like, well, it's John Connington, Mm because why would you word it like that otherwise? Mm -hmm. In that John Connington isn't a point-of-view character in previous books. But yeah, certainly, I think there are a couple of references from what I can tell, possibly in extended canon, I'm not even sure, but there may be some in the text of the books as well, to how the dominant religion is against homosexuality but aside from that you know it doesn't seem to be as much of an abomination as for example incest which
0: there's a lot of discourse
1: about there's a lot of discourse about Mm.
0: i mean i guess maybe if george had decided that one of the prominent characters would be gay then there'd be a lot of discourse about their
1: sexuality too but he didn't yeah i guess that is the thing is really it's kind of hard to know what the vibe is about homosexuality in westeros Basically because we don't necessarily get a queer point of view character living as a queer person and dealing with how people react to that. That's kind of Westeros in the books. What about in the show? Yeah, I mean, in my
0: opinion, the show just kind of like replicates real world homophobia without really like thinking about it too much. So, like, I've been through the major examples. It should be pretty clear from Loras and Renly's relationship where, like, it's hidden and he has this marriage and he's very pained about the marriage and everything. That like, homosexuality is this huge secret you have to keep. There are various side comments made by other characters that also make clear negative views about homosexuality. Um, so there's, like, a random Lannister soldier who kind of, like, makes derogatory comments about Loras and Renly having sex. Mm-hmm. Um Tywin, I think outright refers to it as like an affliction or an abomination or something mm-hmm. like that, just sort of like various like jokes and negative points of views expressed mm-hmm. in the background, which was fun. So you kind of end up with this picture of Westerosi culture deeming homosexuality to be sort of alternately either a crime, an illness, something that's shameful, something that's just a bit of an unfortunate disadvantage, or something that's an embarrassment,
1: yeah which is interesting yeah um i mean kind of awful um obviously but (laughs) yeah yeah because in the books i feel where we do see prejudice against queer characters Mm -hmm. it tends to be more associated with something else so for example saturn who is john's steward yeah john snow's steward as opposed to john connington (laughs) um once uh he becomes lord commander of the night's watch There's a lot of negativity Mm. directed towards him, but it seems to be more about the fact that he was a sex worker than it – and there's kind of an insinuation that it's kind of bad that he was a sex worker and, like, bad that he was submitting to other men, I guess. Yeah. And I think generally there's a bit more of a vibe of strict gender roles and that being the more important thing. Mm. Like, not necessarily, okay, you're in love with a man, but if you – are assuming a role outside of neurosign gender, then that's what we're really kind of keying in on. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Do you have
0: any other examples? Just think that's interesting.
1: Victarion has a maester on his ship.
0: Oh um, God.
1: Who is like effeminate and girlish and gets raped by several of his sailors. Yeah. And yeah, it's that this character exists outside of traditionally masculine appearance. Mm. And so, therefore, you know, that is kind of the focus of that. Yeah, when you compare that to how people like Loris and Lynn Corbett are treated, it's like, okay, no no one seems to bother them all that much. And I think maybe it's because they are otherwise, you know, espousing masculine traits. Okay. Um, and that they're both quite aggressive fighter well not necessarily aggressive in the case of loris but he's certainly a very very competent fighter yeah yeah, for sure
0: Okay, yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought about that Hmm.
1: essos gets i would say in comparison to the amount of time we spend there comparatively more queer content Mm -hmm. it it seems to be pretty consistent that every time danny goes to a new city she meets she encounters like some form of queer representation okay And and or there are references to other cultures. So this starts really early on when um, Viserys is telling her that, you know, Dothraki men um, sleep with boys. I mean, I feel like the Dothraki
0: culture was pretty underdeveloped, and that's, I guess, an example that exists. You know, we don't really know that much about their views about sexuality. We know a few things, and they're, like,
1: not great. Mm. In Clash of Kings, Tyrion hires a pair of gay Ibanese guards. For oh, sharing. I remember them. Yeah, um, and you know they they seem happy. I they guess. sound great. Yeah, they sound great. You're closest
0: thing to a happy gay couple we have. I love the Ibanese guards.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saro appears a couple of times. Um, oh yeah, yeah. First in Clash, and then later he comes back in Dance with Dragons, and it's made pretty clear that he's gay and that he's uninterested in. Danny, which is, like, the ultimate sign that you are gay in this series, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and once again, we get the problem of he keeps boys in his household. Oh, yeah. I was actually, I was reading a little bit about this because, yeah, there were a few comments from people on a list of queer characters in A Song of Ice and Fire um, where people were being like, mm, maybe we shouldn't count those because um, boys because yeah. that might be pedophilia rather than homosexuality. And someone else was like, "Mm," but George also refers to like the girls at the brothel a lot. Yeah. And it does seem to just kind of be, you know, when he's referring to people who are sex workers or who are, you know, servants in a sexual way, he refers to them as girls or boys rather than as men or women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it may just be more of a marker of these people are yeah, yeah. respected mm-hmm. rather than a signifier of age. But I think also sure. like even without that though,
0: the whole question of like the ages of characters in this series and when we start counting them as adults who can consent to sex is a whole other conversation.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Daenerys. <laughs> yep. You know. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think it's something where it tends to happen more often in the context of people having sort of a harem of servants and you know it often tends to be in the context of sex workers Mm -hmm. um we meet our only intersex character oh yeah um in the series in the form of sweets and so yeah we get a lot of comparatively a lot of queer representation and also a lot of like a lot more of like queer coded people Mm -hmm. um in essos and it does tend to be i think a bit of the kind of exoticism yes um that george engages in with the depiction of essos where it's kind of queer identity is kind of lumped in as another way to mark out these people as different to the rest of us. So that's what we see in terms of the world. We don't necessarily get a great understanding of the views um, of community, of like communities at large on homosexuality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, you know, in the real world, that's something that even in, even if you pick a specific historical time period, obviously that differs depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's, it's just not necessarily as clear As would be ideal.
0: So I understand
1: George has made some statements. Yeah, about
0: gay characters in this book and why there are gay characters in the book. So what's his general sort of thoughts on like? Because you know, like he talks a lot in interviews about like (laughs) his sort of philosophy of writing fantasy and like what should be included and what shouldn't be included and why, you know. Tolkien needs to move out of his attic and things like that. Mm. What are the general vibes in the way he talks about homosexuality in his world
1: if he does this? Yeah, yeah. So I have seen a couple of interviews where he talks about this. One which was quite positive and one which was a little bit less positive. Oh cool. <laughs> So there was one where he was saying, you know, he really wanted to include queer characters like from the very beginning when he started writing the series. That was something he consciously chose to do because he felt that often fantasy didn't include queer people Mm -hmm. even though you know they exist in the real world and yeah he like it says you know when i was writing when i first started writing these books in the early 90s it just wasn't something that was done and so i wanted to Mm -hmm. be different to what was happening because i think yeah i think he references the fact that he you know knew queer people and was like well these people exist they should be in my stories yeah yeah so that's, like, more on the positive end of things. Okay, yeah. Um, certainly, a, you know, a good attitude to have.
2: Yeah.
1: He has also had interviews where he's talked about the lack of depictions of male male sex mm-hmm. in the series, which, um, you know, given the context where there's quite a bit of sex in this series, we do get some sex with women, between women. And we get quite a bit of sex, heterosexual sex. Yeah, yeah. People, a lot of people have asked him. You know, well, why is there no homosexual male sex? And his response to that, I don't rate at all. In that, his response was basically, "Well, it just hasn't suited the plot, and like, I, you know, the characters that are the point of view characters aren't gay." To which I say, "Well, you could have you choose had- who's gay, George." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: yeah, okay.
2: Yeah.
1: So yeah, those were the two main interviews I saw that came up quite a bit um in terms of his views on homosexuality in the series. Mhm. So it's pretty clear that he does think that yeah, gay people existed in historical time periods, so therefore they should exist in my work. I mean, he clearly doesn't think that there should be that that there were that many of them or that they were particularly prominent mm. based on how he writes the series.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of attitude, like, I've seen an interview with him as well, which is maybe the same as one of the ones you've seen, where, Mm. like, someone asks him, like, he's before an audience, and someone asks him, like, why are there gay characters in your book, basically? Mm. And he kind of just goes, well, I noticed gay people existed, and he, like, gets a round of applause. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't want to downplay the significance of, like, making that decision in the 90s, because, you know, we have come a very long way in terms of what is, like, possible to put on screen or on page. Yeah. And become an acclaimed author or creator or whatever Mm -hmm. in the last like couple decades. Yeah. But also like it's not it's not really enough. Like it's just not. But yeah, I think it does become easier for creators, both like George and the showrunners who were obviously dealing with a very different climate when they started the TV show as compared to when George saw the books, to kind of be like, we're going to take the like the step, the bold step of including queer characters, and be like, well, we've done that now, mm. and not actually think too much about what exactly it is you're depicting or anything like that. You know, so like regarding the relationship between Lawrence and Renly in the commentary on some of the episodes with the scenes, mm. the writer for those talked about how he really discussed with – the actors like you know we want to make this make sense and we want to make it seem like a real relationship and like how should we like navigate this and whatnot so they're obviously taking it seriously hmm. but they're not doing a particularly good job no like i i do think that i understand that this is just like one small element of this like huge tv show hmm.
1: but i do think that there still just isn't the due diligence being done there yeah and i think and this is getting into i guess the kind of whole idea of making historical fiction i think that the fantasy and fantasy genre in particular is one where you don't have to do very much to get lauded for representation like if they'd included these exact same queer arcs in a sitcom mm-hmm. I don't think they would have gotten anywhere near the amount of praise no for sure, um,
0: and I think that comes down to.
1: Which is especially funny because you could literally translate a lot of what happens yeah, that's in this show that's into true. a sitcom and not really change <laughs> Oh, God.
0: Um, and I think a lot of that does come down to the fact that they're dealing with a sort of faux historical setting, and yep. so any amount of queerness is seen as being inherently more implausible and therefore inherently more of a brave step to include. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's certainly a trend – Uh, that you see in responses to any time Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire is criticised, not just on the basis of handling its queer characters badly, but also in terms of, like, sexual violence or general gratuitous violence or misogyny Mm. or any of the other things it gets criticised for, where people will use the line of that's just how things were back then. So, for example, Amy Blumson, writing for The Telegraph, said... Uh, specifically about people saying that, like, I think Loris and Renly in particular, but queer characters generally weren't handled very well, mm-hmm. that, quote, We have to think of these characters in context. Westeros is largely inspired by European medieval history, as George R. R. Martin himself has often stated. Back then, any sex that wasn't strictly procreational was forbidden, including but not limited to sex between men. It is pointless projecting our 20th century definitions onto a past where things were radically different. And I don't want to be harsh, but that's a stupid garbage argument.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a terrible take.
0: That's wrong for a few reasons. I mean, she's right that Game of Thrones is very, very influenced by history, and we've been talking about that throughout. But it also doesn't take very much critical thought to realise that no historical fantasy author. George included, is completely true to the periods they're inspired by. It would be ludicrous if we expected this series to be a War of the Roses documentary. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't say, oh, well, but in reality, the Red Wedding didn't happen quite like that. You know, no one would take you seriously. They just say, oh, okay." how about you? Shut up. (laughs) And I mean, the reason why historical fantasy is interesting is that it chooses to deal with 21st century concerns and morals and themes and so forth in the context of a historical setting that we care about. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't ever have pure historical fiction where we don't have the society that it's written from intruding on that. You know, George is exploring what he thinks about, you know, colonialism and women and so forth now as someone living in the 21st century in this historical fiction, and so saying we can't let 21st century morals intrude on this is, is ridiculous. That's not a flaw. Like, it's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. It's the <laughs> point of the genre.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm very
2: mad. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think it reflects a lot about the people who are saying it. And I think it reflects a lot about the, their understanding of history. For sure. Yeah. And like, because obviously, you know, as evidenced by the what sixty episodes of our podcast,
0: <laughs> yeah, something like that. I don't mean. yeah, yeah.
1: I don't count them. I just keep churning <laughs> them out and seeing if people listen to them. <laughs> yeah, amazingly, queer people have existed in history. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I we've... mean, I
0: think that is the thing as well. Where like clearly, what you're saying presumes that the sexuality and the homophobia and so forth that are depicted on the show are an authentic depiction of history. Mm or that any of this is an authentic depiction of any period of history. Yeah. When it isn't, it's just kind of, like, mimics history enough that it can feel authentic to the modern viewer.
1: Yeah. And I think it also, it reflects how a lot of people think about history, where people like to think of history as being, oh, well, you know, you know, that that thing of it's just what it was like back then kind of reflects a view of history that is based on the idea that things have just unequivocally gotten better mm. and that, you know, oh, well, like... And I think we see this in response to, um, like, queer people and people of colour um, quite often when they're arguing for more progress to be made in the modern day yeah is that people say, well, you know, like... We've come so far already, you know, like, and I think that view of it's just what it was like back then, you know, there weren't many queer people, those that were, were incredibly closeted and didn't, and, you know, suffered a lot of discrimination. Sure, that's that's true in one sense, but also you're kind of giving an excuse for why you, we don't necessarily have a better situation for queer people now.
2: Um,
1: you're kind of excusing current views and current behavior on the basis that well look how far we've come you know look at what it was like in the game of thrones times <laughs> it's like <laughs> but this isn't real yeah and i don't think that this is the intent of people like joe Draman or the showrunners but i think they are sort of somewhat unwittingly participating in that for sure yeah. in that cre- construction of a fiction that i think yeah has some harmful implications in terms of how it means that general audiences think about Mm. history because obviously the vast majority of people don't have history degrees um and don't spend their spare time studying (laughs) history yeah Yeah, and or making Um, a podcast
0: (laughs) yeah and i think it comes back to what i kind of mentioned regarding i think it was Brian Cogman who was talking to the actors who played Loris and Renly where you know they they clearly kind of had good intentions and so forth but ultimately I feel like the the like picture they paint of homosexuality and what it's like to be gay and whatnot is just a very much like straight people's kind of like first impressions of that put in a faux historical setting and because like general society is so used to the assumption that like oh yeah that's what like gay people are like whether it's in terms of the stereotypes or in terms of the just like being miserable all the time Mm -hmm. because you have to marry natalie dormer (laughs) trying to relate but yeah it's it's really hard to relate (laughs) um but i mean yeah like i guess the point i just want to make is despite the fact that we see like someone like rally being miserable or whatever see any given bit of queerness in the show and think like yeah that looks like something that could happen in history Mm. but i feel like the way that they depict queerness is actually just so obviously a modern take on what being gay is that if you consider it in the context of like this is the medieval times it's actually very anachronistic and jarring
1: we were talking about this a little bit before in terms of the differences in how renly is depicted in the show versus the books and that really gets into that kind of giving a modern take on a homosexual person but in this weird faux historical setting where yeah Renly and Loris are super catty in the show Mm. which like you know that's a very modern stereotype and a very modern like way of depicting queer men Mm. has very little basis in either the text that they're adapting from or in historical reality Mm. and so it's like well you know even if you except some of the rarity and people hiding their relationships from the outside world, like even if you accept that that is maybe historically accurate in some senses, they're still not giving a particularly accurate depiction of queer people mm. and how they were.
0: Yeah. And, and like, how they are now, even. Even if they want to just kind of depict it as like, yeah, this is like just naturally how we depict it. This is how it's like back then. Mm. They have in reality constructed what homosexuality looks like and is treated in Westeros and then they're not even particularly willing to try and like examine that within the world of the show so there's like times not from the outside but like within the world of the show where the characters kind of take note of certain things being not like natural but socially constructed and so forth so for example like the whole point of john snow's entire life is that he's a bastard Mm. and then he meets missandei who tells him that like in her culture there isn't marriage so the concept of bastards just doesn't exist Mm. and so that's this moment of like lifting the curtain and making it clear that you know there's nothing like inherent to the fact that john's parents weren't married or were they, um, <laughs> yeah, Then not- has resulted in his life being like this. Like, it's something that's been socially constructed within that culture, and it's not just.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, we also see this with the whole Dawn subplot. Mm, for sure, where, yeah, yeah. The distinction where in Dawn there's no male primogeniture. And, yeah, it's kind of – there's definitely a lot of discourse um, with the Dawnish characters about how, well, you know, is there any – actual reason why an older woman and like an older sister should not Mm. take precedence over a younger brother yeah Yeah.
0: and you mentioned before about how like cersei in the books mentions how when she was a child she and jamie would swap clothes and notice Mm. how differently they were treated and so forth like the both the books and the tv show are clearly willing to sort of explore socially constructed categories in westeros they're just not willing to extend that homosexuality yeah yeah but yeah so despite the fact that the setting that they've chosen allows them to depict queerness as being like fundamentally disapproved of and to depict it within the universe as like viewed as fundamentally negative they're still able to cultivate this very like liberal and modern attitude through kind of like coding characters as good or bad depending on their reactions to homosexuality. So we've talked before about how, like, the point of Loris and Manley's second and final scene is to kind of – well, not like the whole point, but Mm -hmm. one of the things it does is sets Marjorie up as being this, like, interesting, politically savvy, practical sort of girl. And similar discussions about sexuality do the same thing for Elena when she's talking to Tywin. Mm -hmm. Um, And his reaction to homosexuality – Specifically, like Laura's homosexuality is—that's disgusting. It turns my stomach. Like, I don't want to hear about it. And she's like, oh, grow up. Like it's perfectly natural. It happens. My grandson mm. is a sword swallower through and through, and there's nothing we can do about it." Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. like, there aren't any queer characters on the screen or anything, but they're still able to kind of use this to make the show overall look like it broadly has the right view of things, and to make Elena look like funny and like a cool character. Yeah. And so forth. Yeah. But yeah, so like D&D are giving us this cast of like overwhelmingly straight characters and then dropping in these little moments that suggest that the show is kind of like overall cool with the gay stuff, but then they can just like drop that whenever they want because like that's just how it was back then.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they do this with women as well. Yeah, they do. Quite a lot. Yeah.
0: And- I, if we had more time, we could make, I think, a bunch of connections between problems and how they deal with queerness and problems in how they do with women and talk more about race and yeah. going on, on but like we we just we can't go down this rabbit <laughs> hole so we just can't
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: my last little paragraph here is just kind of like fanfic where i think about ways that they could have done homosexuality better in the show <laughs> um yep. basically i was thinking of ways that they could have introduced a bit more homosexuality to make it a bit more bearable to me yeah <laughs> without necessarily upsetting entirely the entire like broadly homophobic narrative that westeros has going on because mm-hmm. i feel like when people like criticize people for wanting more queer representation in Australia like game of thrones it's always like oh do you think it would really be realistic if just like cersei just like married a woman and they were queens together mm. or whatever like how would that even work then how would succession work and it's like well okay like first of all like we you could figure it out if you really want to
1: yeah, yeah but
0: second of all you don't need to like wildly straw man this we can we can still deal with established parameters and do better than we have done yeah absolutely Um, so first of all i alluded to earlier how i feel like loris and renley's whole thing where like renley learns however long into his marriage that marjorie knows she's his beard and she's fine with it Mm. is stupid Mm. and makes no sense yeah so i feel like you could just fundamentally shift that whole dynamic Mm -hmm. and have them all be like on board Yeah. And it'd just be fine. Yeah. And if you still want to have that element of, like, a plot twist mantra is fine with it, just have it, you see them all in public first, and then they go back to in private, and then they're all just like, cool, well, you know, see you tomorrow, honey, have fun having sex with my brother, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's barely a change at all. It just means that Renly's life is a little less miserable. Yeah. Because he has, like, a family in which he can be open as opposed to just one boyfriend who is mean to him yeah 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 also egret assumes that men of the night's watch have sex with each other Mm. because they're not allowed to have sex with women Mm -hmm. and john tells her that this never happens Mm -hmm. uh yes it does john yes it does come on (laughs) come on it does i can't remember what their names are but the commanders for like the the castles on like opposite ends of the wall and one of them's like um, a dandy and one of them's like really like
1: yeah yeah uh cotter pike
0: and uh dennis malister yeah well i ship them and i have for a long time (laughs) um
1: that's very funny and i love it it's my most obscure ship in anything yep yeah i
0: have tried to find any one person
1: who has ever shared this point of view and they do not so listeners if you want to make eli really happy Submit some Connor Pike Dennis Mouse <laughs> slash Vic. Please do. <laughs> to QueerysFacts at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can just put it on ao 3 and send us a link. Like, yeah. That's fine as well.
0: In Elena's conversation with Tywin, um, she says to him, like, did you never not even, like, once have a sexual encounter with a man? Like, you, you know, you grew up as a soldier, you grew up in, like, having a you know, group of young men around you in your household and so forth, these kinds of things happen as natural. And again, he says, no, absolutely not, never. Mm. And so I think kind of introducing these sort of like situational or experimental same-sex interactions could have been done very easily without messing with the overall structure they've set up.
1: Yeah, one of the, what you were saying before, in terms of how people, straw man requests for, Um, more queer representation by saying well you know it could never be you know officially sanctioned and recognized Mm -hmm. within that society sure but there's a bunch of plot arcs in this novel where there are situations where things aren't strictly organized because people are at war for large portions of the novel um, or they're just in situations where they're kind of isolated from society generally Mm -hmm. and or in unusual social circumstances Mm -hmm. And those provide opportunities to have this kind of exploration without necessarily, I guess, breaking the idea that this is overall still a homophobic world. Yeah, And, you know, that's kind of, I mean, that tends to be how a lot of people end up exploring um, sexuality and gender identity, even in the modern day when they exist in homophobic societies. And so...
0: And if you were really savvy, maybe you could do some commentary about that in your show. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) lastly i just wanted to mention that the show despite being obviously very realistic very medieval never seeks to depict different homosocial norms that might have been perfectly acceptable in medieval Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. but would be seen as strange now so for example the show would never have depicted rob sharing a bed with theon or john not because they were like having sex or anything but just because that was a normal thing Mm. for young men to do so how dedicated is it really to showing what things were just really like back then.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's interesting because, yeah, there's also, you know, the fact that the show in particular cuts a lot of those kinds of scenes that occur with women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, Because there's a lot of women sharing a bed Yes. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, the two examples that you talked about with Daenerys and Cersei are both examples of sexual situations arising out of exactly that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's about all we have in terms of discussion about Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, I will say, I meant to say this a bit earlier, but yes, we acknowledge there are other books that exist in this unit, that are written in this universe. I'm aware that there's some queer representation in those books. Chose not to discuss it here because we were mainly discussing the thing that the vast majority of people are exposed to, and also Mm. just because I haven't read them. I mean, we've already got so much that we could go
0: into that is in those main five books that we just not doing because of time yeah so introducing yet more
1: books would be a bad idea
0: also like none of the extended stuff has been adapted to tv
1: yet so we couldn't really compare yeah so i mean that said and we've spent a fair bit of time criticizing this show and these books Mm -hmm. we're still gonna watch the new season when it comes out absolutely um i'm
0: terrified every waking moment
1: (laughs) (laughs) and you know if if you want to talk about (laughs) game of thrones and particularly in regards to uh queer things feel free to get in touch with us because we like it
0: yeah if anything queer does happen to happen in the final season uh
1: i guess we'll like yell about it on the internet with your yeah 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 probably not though (laughs) probably probably not not. so with that we've been Queerist fiction i'm jason i'm eli and if you would like to get in touch with us with uh dennis malister cotter pike fan fiction (laughs) or you know thoughts about game of thrones and queer representation or thoughts about Queer history in general. Please feel free to contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr as Queer as Fact. You can also email us at fact at gmail.com. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and all other places where podcasts can be found. So, this is our last episode of Queer Fiction for the Season, and we'll be back with the season finale of Queer as Fact on the 15th of April with an episode about the Mexican singer. Chavilla vargas thank you for listening to our thoughts about game of thrones <laughs> and we'll see you next time